This month in traditional and modern worship, our pastoral team is preaching the series The Art of Hearing, which focuses on the practice of hearing and being heard by attending to Jesus' words in the stories of Luke's gospel. Jesus' words, his posture, his orientation, and his relationship speak volumes. What this models for us is not only the power of God's voice and presence, but also our ability to hear and respond, whether with our voices or with our lives. This series shows us what it means to hear, to listen, to attend to God's Spirit in every situation, as God promises to provide the Holy Spirit to us. But like any other craft or art form, the art of hearing requires practice, discipline, and intentionality. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke 6, 17 through 26. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were touched, troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when, you all, when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Our hearts and minds are open. Amen. So, the Scripture. Blessed are you who are poor, hungry, sad, and expendable. Woe to you who are rich, full, happy, and popular. This week's gospel in a nutshell, boom. I think we can go home now. Like, that's it. That's all we need to know. That's all there is to it. But it's not. It's really not. Woe, blessed, happy, and sad. A lot of different words and a lot of different ways to hear those words. This is the third week in our sermon series, The Art of Hearing. And we've been looking at not only how Jesus' words from Luke's gospel are heard, but also on how his relationships, his posture, his orientation can speak to us. And then what's our ability to hear and respond not only with our voices, but with our actions, with our lives. So today we continue with the passage from Luke, often referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. It's the shorter, less well-known, way less popular relative of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's Gospel. I remember the first time that I saw an M.C. Escher drawing or painting. Uh, I think I was in ninth grade art class at Thompson High School. I found his drawings 
really fascinating and compelling, but somehow disturbing at the same time. They cause us to question the perspective of things that we're looking at. They provide this paradox that shows the world is not as we see it as a at a glance. He imagined aspects of life from the inside out that are upside down. And today's passage from Luke kind of does this too. In the healing we witness, the blessing and stinging woes that we hear, Jesus turns things upside down in such a way, as he always does, that challenges the status quo. So let's step into two different perspectives today. How would the crowd gathered have heard these blessings and woe? What would it have said to them? How would we hear those same words? And then once we listen to the message as both sets of ears might hear it, then how can we respond to that today? So something I learned to do when reading scripture, scripture for the first time, well, first is pray. But the second thing that I've learned to do as I read a passage is to highlight the words, the phrases that are repeated or that just jump off the page at me. Now, I didn't learn to do this on my own. I was taught this, and I'm really grateful because I've learned a lot through this practice. So in this passage, I found myself thinking about the actual location of Christ and even his pop posture. So in verse 17, Jesus came down from the mountain and stood on a large area of level ground. And he came with them. So he came down, he stood with them, he was on level ground. While all three of the synoptic gospels record their own versions of the events, the participants are located in very different geographical areas. The mountains for Matthew, the Sermon on the Mountain, the sea for Mark, and the plain for Luke. Now we don't know if they're recording the same speech, different accounts, different eyewitness accounts, or if this is kind of like Christ's stump speech that he gives at different locations. He just starts with this. But we know that he comes down, he stands with them, he's with this crowd rather than above this crowd. It brought to mind the phrase level playing field, which I think is ironic because that thing sure doesn't exist in our day and it didn't exist in Jesus' day either. It's not how our world works, but this seems, this place seems to be not only a level place, but for Christ, a leveling place. If he's speaking from a truly level place, that means all the seats are general admission. There's no balcony, there's no box seats, there's no VIP entrance for this crowd. Who are they? Who is this crowd? Luke reports they're a group of disciples, which could be the 12 disciples, and also really anyone else who was a believer in Christ, along with a bunch of people from Judea, Jerusalem, Tyre, and Sidon. Now, including this de detail that they're included from all these different regions is so very Luke to do. 
He's always concerned about letting people know how inclusive Christ was. So those regions, especially Tyre and Sidon, indicate that it wasn't just Jewish people, it was Gentiles and Jews together. We aren't told how they heard about Christ, only that they were present to hear him, and they wanted to be healed. They wanted to be healed from their diseases and unclean spirits. As theologian Renita Weems put it, they're people that have very little to offer beyond their enthusiasm and their devotion. But despite their poverty and need, they recognize the presence of something new and powerful. So, to put on their perspective, we have to imagine that we've come to this place expecting very little, because life has offered us very little. We have no money, we're outcasts from community and oftentimes from family, sick with only hope that someone can bring relief. You find yourself surrounded by many who are just like you, different infirmity, but just like you. And this person that you've heard of heals you and all the other people present simply by being near. Now, it's difficult not to imagine Jesus in this passage as some sort of Super Mario Brothers character that levels up as power like shoots out of him. But, and that's tongue in cheek, but, but we recognize he was human, yet somehow merely being in his presence in this setting healed people. So following this miracle, he begins to speak. The crowd settles down. He shifts his focus from the work of healing to teaching. Scripture says, and again, these words jumped out at me, he raised his eyes or looked up at the disciples. So that indicates even while he's healing, he's either maybe sitting but he's in a place of humility. Even though he has this power, he doesn't lord it over others. And the words he's saying seem like they are directed right to you, the poor, the hungry, the weeping. Even though you'll not leave this place a bit more wealthy in money, Christ has now blessed you more richly than you've ever imagined in a totally different way. You see, to be blessed in this sense doesn't mean to be free from any struggle, but to be oriented towards a reality where God's kingdom is realized. To be blessed meant living in keen awareness of God's presence and movement in your life It's more than a promise for the future. Your kingdom come points to a place where God's realm is realized in the present, on this level place. I mentioned that I learned to highlight the words or phrases on the first read. Well, on the second read, after pausing and resting, I write down any questions that I have. And usually there's a lot. But here's the biggest one that came up from this passage. How do we, we collectively, middle and upper class, comfortable, not hungry, decidedly not poor, 
hear what Christ is saying here when that's really not who it was initially directed to. I mean, the only pain I experienced this week, besides our complete and utter meltdown earlier in the service, was a zit that I couldn't pop that was somehow inside my nose. TMI. The worst thing my husband, Jim, has experienced in this past year is the M.C. Escher upside-down-like reversal of his college and pro football teams. One year, he's watching Alabama win a national championship. His Tampa Bay Bucks, the underdogs, they win the Super Bowl. The next year, Bama is beat by another SEC team. Tom Brady is not only not doing as well, but retiring and leaving his Bucks with no hope for the future. Talk about a woe. But truth be told, we'd probably rather just go with Matthew's versions of the Beatitudes, which although it contains non-challenging blessing, contains absolutely no woes at all. Now we can be certain Christ isn't attempting to glamorize or romanticize poverty or illness. Neither Jesus nor Luke are saying that hunger, grief, loneliness, being hated are good things in and of themselves. We probably all know people who are well off, who are generous, who lead lives of faith, and then people who are less well off, who don't. Ours is a God of loaves and fishes, and undoubtedly, we'd prefer that we all had adequate resources, and so would God that life was full of laughter and joy and that we were all kind and loving towards one another. But maybe to gain perspective, we should go back to the meaning of blessing, the meaning of woe, back to the fact that blessed is about realizing our need, being in connection with and trusting our Savior over all else, over the comforts that we have, And woe is about believing that we're not powerful enough or independent enough to provide the things that we really need, especially a Savior. And so in forgetting, we fail to let God fully into our hearts. Woe is not a threat, but it's an expression of regret and compassion. Jesus regretted the situation when people depended on themselves instead of on him. This is the message translation of the woe part. I don't usually use it for study, but it's fantastic in that it cuts to the heart of the matter. But it's trouble ahead if you think you have it made. What you have is all you'll ever get. And it's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself. Yourself will not satisfy you for long. And it's trouble head if you think life's all fun and games. There's suffering to be met, and you're going to meet it. Okay, so what now? How do we respond? Which should always be the question we ask of ourselves as we attempt to bridge this gap between who we are and who God calls us to be. So the third time I read a scripture passage, first time is highlight, second time ask questions, third time 
I ask myself, how does this passage make me feel? Not like just happy or sad, but the real like, what's the gut reaction to it? And I can tell you, this passage made me uncomfortable. It made me kind of want to squirm in my seat, make this face. Forget that I'd ever read it. Because I'm in that passage. I, I am one of the comfortable ones. So maybe our response starts with just admitting that Jesus is right. For me, that means coming clean about the fact that most of the time, I'm not very desperate for God. I'm not keenly aware of God's active daily intervention in my life. I'm not on my knee with need, ache, sorrow, longing, gratitude, or even love. After all, why would I be? I have plenty to eat. I have a comfortable home. I have both health and health insurance. My children are safe. I'm not trying to be callous, but as Jesus puts it so wisely, I'm already full. I'm not in dire need of anything. I would suspect most of us are pretty close to this too. But what we can do is live in the tension in this passage, which helps us understand that we have something to learn about discipleship that our external circumstances in life cannot teach us. Instead of trusting in the most concrete source of support, which is our resources and ourselves, let's learn to trust God. Our state of life doesn't mean we can disconnect from what the least of these face on a daily basis by closing our eyes and our ears to the pain and suffering of others. I heard or read something once that said, a parent is only as happy as his or her least happy child. Can I get an amen for that? Is it any wonder Jesus feels the pain of those who are hurting? God is the father to each of us. So we should feel the discomfort if we are not oblivious to the reality of those he speaks about. So let's evaluate how we are helping in his kingdom. And I'm not just pushing membership because we just welcomed people, but I thought about it. How often do we take a look at how those things are working in our life? Our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. Where are those things? How are those things? I saw this blessing, and I think it was by a Franciscan monk, but someone had taken the blessing and updated it. And I thought that it really fit. May God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may seek truth boldly and love deep within your heart. May God bless you with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, 
starvation, or the loss of all they cherish, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can really make a difference in the world so that you are able, with God's grace, to do what others claim cannot be done. Together as one with Christ. Amen.